welcome back to Museum Talk. I am your host, Ava, and with me today, I have Dr. John Bell from the Ballard Institute and Museum of Puppetry. Dr. Bell has served as the director of the Ballard since 2007, and prior to that was a member of the well-known politically driven puppet theater known as Bread and Puppet. So Dr. Bell, can you tell me a little bit about your role at the Ballard? Well, I'm the director of the Ballard Institute and Museum of Puppetry. And uh, we are a uh, unique institution. We're the only uh, puppet museum connected to a university. And in fact, we're one of the few puppet museums in the United States. There's one at the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta. There's one in Seattle. There are museums like the Bread and Puppet Museum in, in Northern Vermont. And what we want to do is to think about the past, present, and future of puppetry as a global performance practice that um, uh, you know goes back thousands of years and sort of appears uh, continually uh, in in the present, uh, kind of ironically because oftentimes as puppeteers from Jim Henson to Peter Schumann to Sherry Lewis to, uh, and everywhere know, you know, puppetry has this interesting uh, connection or, or reputation, especially in the US of being a children's entertainment form, when in fact, the larger history of puppetry is about the ways that it connects to major belief systems and culture and social systems and uh, political systems uh, around the world from Africa, Asia, Europe, and, and the Americas. So that's super interesting. And we have a collection of over 3,000 puppets, uh, which was started uh, when Frank Ballard uh, was the head of the pu puppet arts program. Ballard started the puppet arts program at UConn in the late 50s. And then we do a lot of guest exhibitions. So we just finished uh, Puppetry's Racial Reckoning, curated by uh, Dr. Chongmin Song. And then right now, as I speak, we're installing our new exhibition, Echo in Puerto Rico, Four Generations of Puerto Rican Puppetry. So it's exciting because we're dealing with a form that people kind of know, like everybody knows, you know, a Sesame Street or the Muppets or something. And then they don't necessarily know about Javanese shadow theater or, <clears throat> you know, avant-garde political experimental theater or puppetry in street performance or Latin American puppetry or European puppetry. Or, uh, African puppetry. So it's always exciting to sort of expose people to what's out there. Yeah, definitely. I've been to the Ballard a few times and it's always interesting. I love seeing what's going on down there. And I do want to ask you about the exhibition that just closed uh, Puppetry's Racial Reckoning. So right. it looked to examine the role of race, prejudice, um, stereotypes, and racism in the world of puppetry. And so in your opinion, how does racism and discrimination kind of affect how people view and participate in art museums? And what did this exhibition um, kind of look to educate visitors and um, kind of look what it looked to do? Right. Good. Good question. This was like one of the most challenging exhibitions we've done because it's 
uh, first of all, talking about race and identity is really complicated. I feel it's a language that uh, one needs to learn and have experience using in order to think about it, because it's difficult to talk about race, and especially in the United States with our own history of, of racism. I think um, in 2019, we did an exhibition of Living Objects, African-American Puppetry, which was really the, the second exhibition of African-American puppetry uh, in the United States. And that was super interesting uh, because it was another way that, that we could, or it was the first time we were able to kind of look at the situation of race and puppetry, which is deeply interconnected since puppets are sort of like the id or the, the subconscious of a culture that emerges automatically in a way. So that was an interesting precedent for this one. We wanted to do an exhibition during COVID of work from our own, uh, own collections, which tend to focus on American, United States puppetry from the mid 20th century onward, which is mostly uh, white puppeteers. So we wanted to look at that. And then also, as we looked around at what we have, think about the responses of especially puppeteers of color, uh, Asian American puppeteers, African American puppeteers, and others to the situations of uh, race and identity. So uh, if, if I can talk about the structure of the exhibit, should I explain what we have there? What we yeah. have there? Yeah, definitely. Well, Dr. Uh, Dr. Jungmin Sung, who teaches in the theater dramatic arts department here and has a history in performance and uh, uh, performance art and curated a Shakespeare and puppetry exhibition that we had here, I guess it was last year. She assembled the, the exhibition and it was really in three different sections. One uh, was about uh, Orientalism and the way that um, people from uh, a, the vague and fantastical and imaginary worlds of Asian people, you know, from the Middle East to China and India and all of South Asia, the sort of mythical imaginary world, how that is presented and, and through puppetry. The second part was called Minstrelsy and its Legacy, which as one can imagine was about the legacies of blackface minstrelsy, which was the most popular form of entertainment in the United States in the 19th century, uh, in, including uh, the uh, sort of legacies of Uncle Tom's Cabin, which was the most popular novel and the most popular drama of the 19th century in the United States by Harriet Beecher Stowe. And then a third section was really kind of interesting and uh, um, equivocal in a way, uh, identity and identification, which explored how other cultures like in Asia, for example, have represented uh, other people. So how black people or Af African Iranian people were represented in mainstream Iranian puppetry how Javanese rod puppet theater represented Africans or Europeans, uh, sort of things that complicate the, the situation. 
one of the responses we got from a kind of, I would say, conservative or if not right wing media uh, site was, uh, I think someone who actually didn't see the exhibition, but they said the, the gist of this exhibition is the history of puppetry is the history of racism, which is sort of not too wrong, but it was, but actually not what we were saying. And mm -hmm. I think the complexity of the situation is, which is one thing we were thinking about in how to talk about this. The complexity is the complexity of the history of the United States, you know, and it does happen to be the case that racism and slavery, the legacy of slavery is very much a part of our own history. And uh, those histories and uh, uh, racism, you know, are reflected in our culture in, in minstrelsy, which gave rise to vaudeville and, and all sorts of other uh, remnants. So it's not, I would say it's, we weren't saying that all puppetry is the history of racism, but that puppetry insofar as it reflects mainstream culture, yeah. you know, when things appear as objects sculpted or, um, or created objects in performance, they reflect what people are experiencing. There, we had in, in the section uh, about minstrelsy and its legacies, mm -hmm. we had kind of the most um, uh, expressly racist puppets. Mm -hmm. We had a warning sign at the entrance to the museum, you know, like if this, some of these images might be disturbing, but they were called jig dolls. And it was a form of um, popular puppetry, little wooden uh, puppets with a, a horizontal bar that the performer would hold and then loosely attached legs and arms. And you would have a piece of wood on your knee that the puppet would rest on and you'd bang on the piece of wood. Mm -hmm. And that piece of wood would make the legs uh, dance, like dance like a jig. And those puppets were painted in kind of minstrel, uh, minstrel exaggeration. So <laughs> black faces and these sort of racist representations of black people, big lips and teeth and big eyes. Pretty clear, pretty clear what that was, what that was representing. Yeah. Next to it, we had some um, sculptures, jig, jig dolls by Garland Farwell, who's an African-American sculptor who studied at Rhode Island School of Design and then got involved in performance, uh, moved to, I wanna say Alabama, down to the South to get in touch with African-American folk culture. Mm -hmm. And he does painting and set design and um, <clears throat> theater work uh, in his community. And he made some dolls that are pretty much, you know, that jig doll form, but unpainted mm -hmm. and with a very different, so just unpainted wood mm -hmm. in that African-American folk tradition and um, uh, with sort of interestingly characterized features uh, made with little like round pieces of wood for the hat and metal things for the ties. And and in a way, you know, what he is doing is reacting against uh, the stereotype, the, the racist stereotype of the jig dolls that we placed right next to each other so you mm -hmm. could see them. But it's complicated because some people said, oh, it's all racist, you yeah. know, that's all bad. And 
and it was like, well, no, actually, what Garland Farwell is doing is thinking about this history of racist uh, imagery in American puppetry and popular culture and responding to it, you know, the way the filmmaker Spike Lee in, in a film he made called Bamboozled about minstrelsy, blackface minstrelsy, Garland Farwell's responding to it in his own way with his own sculpture, his own movable figures. So it's interesting because, you know, it's not, it's not like everything's either black or white, excuse the pun, you know, but, you know, there are different degrees of representation. There's ambiguities in mm -hmm. representation. You don't know what the intention of people was in, in mm -hmm. representation. So it's, to me, it's super fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it offered us a chance to, you know, look at our own collections, you know, the way that puppets in our collections have been identified in the kind of, sometimes in a, in a um, less than accurate fashion, whereby we'll have an Asian puppet and someone 30 years ago said, well, that's, that's gotta be such and such, you know, and actually it's, it's not what they thought it was, you know, or we had some puppets and someone said, well, those are from the Mikado. And actually they, the, as Jungman realized when she looked at these puppets, um, the Mikado said in Japan, the costumes in these marionettes uh, by a guy named Donald Cordry, who was active in Detroit in the thirties, they, they're not Japanese at all. They're representing Chinese costumes. Mm. So in our own collections, it's like, oh, yeah. we kind of need to do some more work here to figure out what we've got. And you, you mentioned a little bit earlier how like puppetry kind of it's it reflects what is happening in society at the time and the social climate. And I think that's the same for like art museums and these like these art institutions is that they're reflecting kind of what's going on in the social climate, but they're not always super inclusive um, mm, and right. they tend to they don't always promote um, kind of like their spaces for everyone. Right. Um, and you were just saying how like the Ballard with like this one show that you had, how you put warning signs and said this like imagery may be offensive and how you're right. opposing the two puppets. And just in your opinion, like what do you think museums can do to like dismantle racism and be more open and welcoming to kind of people of all backgrounds of all identities um, kind of dismantle this idea of like art museums are only kind of for a certain certain people. Well, that's a super important, question it's like the question in a way I mean one great advantage of puppetry is that already our field is by definition global so if we want to really talk about puppetry and we have a hit uh, uh, the world of puppetry exhibition in our lobby and it has work from Asia um, Africa Europe the Americas and then um, North America the United States so as a puppeteer, you're always needing to kind of navigate multicultural and, and international um, traditions. So that's good because just by paying attention to what puppetry is, you're automatically dealing with different ethnicities, races, traditions, religions. Um, I think when, when we did um, Living Objects African-American Puppetry, we you know, there, to a certain extent, American puppetry has been kind of a 
you know, white oriented tradition changing, you know, I think, I think in in part because of of what, of our exhibition actually, Mm -hmm. but, you know, there's more awareness of, of puppeteers of color bringing in uh, curators uh, representing those perspectives um, or different perspectives, it seems to me interesting mm-hmm. or, or important. With this exhibition, we realized, uh, Dr. Dr. Song, Jungmin Song realized, and, and we, we all realized that it wouldn't be so good just to present puppets from uh, made by white puppeteers, which is the majority of our collections, but to bring in puppeteers of color who mm-hmm. are doing fascinating work like uh, Kimi Maida, who did a who, whose work about um, the Japanese internment camps in the United States during World War II was part of a show she did called Bend, which we included, bringing in different perspectives from artists, you know, trying to bring in different perspectives from curators. Uh, we do a lot of programming with um, f- puppet forums, which are discussions with artists and scholars, puppet performances where we bring in puppeteers from around, uh, well, mostly from New England. So we're trying to think about who we bring in. One thing we realized or we discussed uh, with, with our advisory board of African-American puppeteers and, and our co-curator, Paulette Richards, who's a scholar who's working in the field African, of African-American puppetry. You know, one of the questions was, well, can you know a, can white puppeteers perform puppets that you know represent black folks or people of other cultures and you know they're the provisional answer we came to or they came to was you know yes if there if respect is part of it if the, there's respect there which i thought was really interesting it's you know i don't think these things are figured out and to my mind they're being negotiated and discussed and argued about as we speak, but this idea of respect, you know, doing work that respects, um, you know, others is, is a way to, I don't know, to move forward, mm-hmm. to be more inclusive, to try to understand the whole range of, in our case, puppetry out there. Yeah, and just one last question that I have is like looking forward kind of as we're figuring this out, what do you think that the future of art museums and art like cultural institutions look like? And how how, do, how does art play a role? Like why is there this power behind art to kind of make these changes and make these spaces more inclusive? Wow, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, you know, like when when I was a kid, I'd go to the museum and, you know, you'd see, you know, like the European masters and then modern art, which was most, you know, also like European or mm-hmm. Picasso and, and yeah. stuff. And I think of necessity and responding to our global culture and multi-ethnic society, you know, it has to open up, you know, mm-hmm. and we're seeing how curators and collections are trying to say, oh, wait a minute, you know, like first it was like what like as the Gorilla Girls said, you know, said like what about women artists mm-hmm. and women artists weren't really represented. So okay, and artists of color or 
um, women artists of color, uh, you know, um, I, so I think there's this, this realization that, that a, a wider range of art needs to be included. Also, you know, who comes to the museums, you know, you, yeah. museums want people to come to see the, the work. So who do you attract? You know, you, it's good to include work by a wide range of different people so that your audience reflects the 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 community in in which you live so i i don't know i i think it's it's really exciting because people are aware that we need to change our perspective or our definitions or the range of of works we include no i i agree that these spaces need to um that's like one thing that i'm looking at kind of with like my the research i did this summer as well as like looking forward with my honors thesis is what can these spaces do to like reflect the community yeah. and who is the community that they are trying to reach and like in what ways have they helped this community what ways have they failed this community and really like what can be done better so it's i don't think there really is a straightforward answer it's kind of like you said it's figuring it out along the way and just yeah. um Kind of holding these spaces accountable for any like instances of racism and uh just kind of yeah just like looking at what they're doing and how they're trying to promote these like values of diversity and inclusion in their spaces and i think keeping in mind that it's complicated and that nobody has the for me you know nobody has the the right way of looking at it and like people are going to make mistakes i think that's important and it's as i was saying earlier mm -hmm. like how to think about that or how to think about your own history is complicated. And a lot of people don't want to think about it. Like these re reactions to, you know, what's called critical race theory is sort of like, don't, let's not talk about it. Mm -hmm. When in fact, when you look at the history of art or the history of culture or the history of theater, the history of puppetry, it, there it is, you yeah. know, like. And it needs to be talked about. I think one thing, I, I'm thinking about museums, you know, some of the museums you mentioned at the outset, the Museum of Modern Art, for example, and uh, I, the Whitney, I don't know if you mentioned the Guggenheim, you know, there are these high level cultural institutions and some of the, like my background comes from working with the creation of the Bread and Puppet Museum in Northern Vermont, which is in an old 1860s post and beam barn and it's a sort of home-built DIY museum with thousands of puppets that's really kind of amazing. And a, a colleague of mine, Claire Dolan, started what uh, the Museum of Everyday Life, the Museum of Everyday Life, in also in Glover, Vermont, which is uh, focused on um, everyday objects of in different sorts. So it's I think there are interesting possibilities to go out and make your own museum or you know, to, to, to create and present art um, that's not, you know, necessarily coming from these gigantic, well-funded mm -hmm. traditional institutions, but, you know, maybe museums are something that people do in their neighborhood, mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe art can be accessible to a lot of people. Maybe you don't necessarily need to start off with a huge, you know, um, uh, foundation of, of, of millions of dollars of, uh, in your institution, but maybe people can create their own artwork themselves. That, 
that's kind of an, another aspect that's interesting to me. What is art? Who is art for? Who has access to art? You know, can we make art ourselves? You know, yes, you know, we can, can we in our community make art and show art and perform art, you know, or puppets? Yeah, and even just the shifting idea of like what exactly an art museum is and like what kind of, can, can does it have to be an institution that has like, these million dollars worth of backing or can it just be something that you put on in your backyard like for your neighborhood so yeah it's definitely very interesting it, it'll be interesting to kind of see like where where museums like continue to go into the future and what kind of the role that art will continue to play in our society really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your opinions on this topic thank you so much i appreciate it